if a for-profit happens to fall in our lap? Because some for-profit companies like the idea of working with a marketing agency that's transparent, that has good values, and is giving back to the community. Good corporate social responsibility foundations. It's, it's kind of what we're centered around. You wouldn't believe how many nonprofits like to work with you know that type of a, an agency. So we do take them. And of course, they have to be mission-driven themselves. They can't just be out for, for profit. We're not that kind of marketing company. And they subsidize a little bit. You know, they do have bigger budgets and they help subsidize some of the work we have with nonprofits. Now, some nonprofits we work with, they do have good budgets. They have big budgets. And that's great. Um, and there's other nonprofits that we work with that have very tiny budgets. We can do a lot in an hour. What what most freelancers or, you know, the in-house marketing teams can would take five hours or 10 hours. We We actually operate on that factor of five or factor of 10. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X-Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Paul Fife is founder and CEO of Paul Gregory Media, a digital marketing agency. What I wanted to talk to him about today was how his mission emerged organically over time. He didn't set his business up to be a B corporation. He didn't have purpose embedded at the start, but it emerged and it was a commitment that he wanted to make. So we look at how he, how he did that and also how he addresses really practical issues. Paul's business mainly serves nonprofits, so budgets can be tight, but he's come up with creative solutions to real key issues such as employee attraction and retention. And it's really interesting to see how he does that and how he embeds the culture of giving back into his business. Now, one of the things about giving back is it can be easy, as people say, to be generous with other people's money. But as the owner of this small business, every initiative he takes, giving his employees time away to other worthy causes, giving money away, it comes directly out of his own personal bottom line, if you want. So we talk about the mindset that that he had to have in order to make that giving back culture a reality. So this is a great lesson for all of us listening to this conversation with Paul Fife. Hi, Paul, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So what I know about you, Paul, is that you're the founder, the CEO of Paul Gregory Media, digital marketing agency. You work with nonprofits to help them spread their message. Uh, as you put it, you help people to help people who help people. Um, Say that again. You help people who help people, right? So you're looking at a second order impact. Yes. With that entity behind the green curtain. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, exactly. So you're the, exactly the power behind the throne. Uh, and what I'm curious about is how did that mission emerge? Because you said that when you started the company, that wasn't the, that wasn't the original aim. Or at least you didn't have that, say, the same sense of purpose as you do now. It's something which has emerged along the way. So as the season is business as a force for good, I'd love to explore with you a little bit about how you realized that you had the potential to be a force for good in this business. Yeah, well, I started out as a graphic designer, so uh, employee of one or a company of one. And uh, it took quite a number of years. I started in 2006, back in 2013, which is you know another 
um, seven years later, hired my first employee. And then in 2011, just before that, I joined a board of directors for the first time. It was my first volunteer experience, believe it or not. Um, I was in my 40s, so kind of late in life volunteering. And I just caught the bug. I loved governance. I loved you know, fundraising, and I loved volunteer recruitment. And I just got the bug. And next thing I knew, I joined another board and another and realized that I loved helping people. I loved rallying around a mission. And so I decided to put that kind of edict and culture into the business. And before I knew it, um, within a few years, people started seeking us out as candidates for employment because they liked the idea of doing purpose-driven marketing, I guess. Has that worked for you? Because I think there can be a flip side if other people I've spoken to have said sometimes it can be, there can be a dark side to that because this becomes so attractive to people perhaps um, that people who might be applying who aren't actually a fit. So I'm just kind of wondering how you found that or actually whether it's all been positive for you in that in terms of well, yeah, you're, that's a good point. You do have to start with, you know, skills, soft skills, talent. And so the interview process doesn't change. It's just the cherry on top, I think, when they said, you know, we, we really love working. And at first, I probably thought it was like just, you know, an interview thing where they're just sugarcoating and, and propping you up and uh, blowing some, uh, what do they call it? Blowing sunshine up your skirt or whatever. Um, and, you know, scoring some points to get the, to get the job. But it really, after a few years, you can't, I can detect, you know, who's, who's just saying it to say it because you could look at their LinkedIn profile or their resume and you could see if they've done volunteer work in the past or if they've worked for nonprofits in the past. And when those things, you know, converge and you see that they truly are looking to do some purpose-driven or mission-driven marketing, it, it ends up being a good fit because you can't work at Paul Gregory Media and not believe in a mission or uh, volunteering in your community or giving back or sustainability or good governance or any of the tenants that we have in our organization. It would just rub you the wrong way, I would think. Yeah, really fascinating. So, okay, so this mission started to emerge as you, you went on your own journey of serving in, in different places. And so so now you focus, I think, pretty much exclusively on on nonprofit organizations. Now, these don't necessarily have the same budgets potentially as other corporate clients you might be pursuing. So how have you had to kind of structure the business perhaps differently from what you might have done otherwise to deliver on that mission and keep the lights on and, and so forth? That's a great question. While we do focus our marketing efforts on nonprofits, um, if a for-profit happens to fall in our lap, because some for-profit companies like the idea of working with a marketing agency that's transparent, that has good values, and is giving back to the community. Good corporate social responsibility foundations. It's kind of what we're centered around. You wouldn't believe how many nonprofits like to work with you know that type of uh, an agency. So we do take them. And of course, they have to be mission-driven themselves. They can't just be out for, for profit. We're not that kind of marketing company. And they subsidize a little bit. You know, they do have bigger budgets and they help subsidize some of the work we have with nonprofits. Now, some nonprofits we work with, they do have good budgets. They have big budgets and that's great. Um, and there's other nonprofits that we work with that have very tiny budgets. We can do a lot in an hour with, with most freelancers or, you know, the in-house marketing teams can, would take five hours or 10 hours. We, we actually operate on that factor of five or factor of 10. So when they say, well, we don't know if we can afford an agency. Well, one hour of what we can do in an hour would surprise you. 
and all of a sudden it does become affordable. So how do you do that? So do you have a huge chat GPT algorithm in the background? Yes, yes. That's, that's what actually is behind the green curtain. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, though we are using it for some for, uh, interesting um, uh, starting points, but you know what? It comes down to hiring the right people and doing the same things over and over and over day. I mean, from a content strategy and a critical thinking point, uh, standpoint, it's different every hour, different every day. But when you're doing social media and that's your job, or you're doing artwork and design, or you're doing, and you have 15 years of experience or, or 10 years of experience, we're hiring really good people that, well, let's just take design. What they can do in an hour, they can design a flyer and three social media posts and uh, uh, save the date postcard, you know, whereas it might take somebody else to like five hours or they're thinking about like, what are they going to say? What's the messaging going to be? How does it fit into our overall strategy before they even hit pen to paper? Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think speed to deliver is so important because you get, you, it has so many benefits, right? It, you, you know, you have more reps, you get, you go up your learning curve faster, actually, you know, you, you get more iterations that just in general, I, I think it's a, I've learned that in my own career that actually when you know what you're up to, just optimizing, actually getting really good at delivering stuff fast is, is important. Yeah. Well, there's a saying, right? Uh, you could have it fast, you could have it cheap, or you could have it good. You can only pick two. And uh, I think that holds true. Um, we're really good and we're really fast, but it's not going to be cheap. But at the same point, what we can do in that hour, and I, you know, our blended rate is actually a lot lower than most agencies because nonprofits can only afford so much. But what we it may seem expensive for that eight, uh, nonprofit agent um, or organization, but what we what we actually deliver, they realize there's a lot of value there. Okay, so we're going back to this this question about how you kind of balance that. So there's this there's there's a client portfolio component here, right? Um, uh, how about people? So we're talking about you know bringing people on board. How you know how do you kind of retain them, keep them? Is it is the mission enough basically to kind of like is is that really like all you need to do is basically have a compelling mission and then then you're done, or, or do you have to do you find you have to work? Well, naively, I used to think so, right? Um, but no. Um, like any business, there's a certain attrition rate. Actually, in marketing, um, and most agencies can tell you this, the attrition rate's kind of high in digital marketing. Um, and I don't know why that is, but um, I, I think maybe because there's a lot of marketing uh, jobs and opportunities out there. So two years is what I found in the past 17 years that I've been doing this. Two years is about the average somebody will stay. So we had to do something, not only attract the talent, but how do we keep them? And um, you know, we could pay them more certainly, um, but there's a there's a ceiling to that, right? Because again, we're working for nonprofits, and there's only so much coming in, so there can only be so much going out. Um, but that's one way. The other way is through perks and benefits. So we uh, did a hundred percent remote workforce. That's one, right? You get to work from home. Two is uh, we piloted a, a four day work week. We read some article from Norway somewhere and said this is really successful. We thought, hey. Let's just work on a work-life balance. And so we did a four-day work week, every Friday off, and um, it's only a 32-hour work week. We're not trying to pack 40 hours into four days. But Richard, think about this for a second. You get every Friday off. So in a year, you already get 52 days off. Now you add the eight holidays on top of that, you get 60 days off. And we require a mandatory two weeks 
because we also, that's our fourth, third perk is we get unlimited PTO within reason. As long as your work is done, you get PTO. We measure, uh, we measure performance based on work delivered on time, not how much work you're doing. So yeah, I have to take at least on your unlimited paid time off. You have to take at least two weeks, which is eight more days. So you coming out of the gate when you're first hired, you get 68 days off a year, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, which is it's the differentiator, right? Yeah, definitely. Right. So now if you leave our organization to work for somebody else and you're using us as a step and stuff, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, a lot more people are doing it these days. And uh, it just lowers our attrition rate because now when they go to another company, are they going to be able to work remotely? Are they going to be able to do a 32-hour work week and have Fridays off? Are they going to have unlimited PTO or do they have two weeks and they got to figure out when they're going to take that off as opposed to a minimum of 68 days off a year? And that's just the way we can, you know, and it's not perfect, right? People will leave and they'll find other opportunities. They'll give, they'll give all that up, you know, just as a you know, way to grow and, you know, whatever. But um, to lower our attrition rate, that's what we've done. Interesting. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with my son just the other day who was calculating that if we, if we spread, if we took the really long summer holidays that we get here, which is over two months for school, and spread them out across the year, you know, he could have an extra day off a week and have three-day weekends, and he was definitely he was strategizing on yeah, a different way of organizing his school life. So, uh, oh, wow. So he's working out the hours and how he could save a day here a day. <laughs> nice. That's motivated. Yeah, well, basically, it's like, well, we'd rather do three months off in one block. I'd love it to have, you know, only, you know, have every Wednesday off. So I'd have two days on, one day off. You know, he was kind of uh, strategizing and doing the counting. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I digress. But I think this point of, yeah, of working on the employee experience, you know, in those really tangible ways without trying, without it being a secret for just saying, um, you know, all your work's still the same, all your hours are basically the same, but you can kind of take off time, which... At the end of the day, the work, the pressure is still there. But it sounds like what you've done is you have rebalanced it as well. I did, yeah, I don't want to create more pressure for them by saying, oh, we got to get our work done so we can take Friday off. But it did, um, think of it this way. If we didn't have Fridays off, sometimes you have to work the weekends. Sometimes you have to go to an event or you have a website launch or whatever. So Friday was no different. Every once in a while, we had to put in an hour or two on a Friday just because there was something going on. So we treated it just like a weekend takes the pressure off yeah makes sense well i've been doing a lot of thinking myself about you know the 80 20 principle as it applies to time and when you do that then obviously you suddenly realize well that bottom 20 percent yeah 80 20 rule absolutely probably doesn't really matter right probably doesn't make an impact probably doesn't make an impact yeah so so paul so tell me what's next for your business so how do you want to multiply your impact um as a company well, I mean, like all the nonprofits that come to us and say, you know, we're the best kept secret and we want to, you know, increase our capacity so that we serve more people. We're no different. We're a for-profit company, but we want to increase our awareness so that we can help more nonprofits. We're so good at what we do. I, I remember the saying, it's like, don't do what you like in life as far as a profession, because you may not be good at it. <laughs> so do what you're good at and you may, you may end up liking it. And I'm certainly... In the latter portion of that, I, I never, I mean, I guess while I like graphic design, that's nowhere near what I'm doing now. It's not my role, but we're good at it and we have really good people doing it. So we can help so many more nonprofit companies out there with their marketing. And so they're not the best kept secret anymore. So our goal 
and our growth and our mission is to just help more and and also give back to our community. We have we have a couple of things going on where we give one percent. Uh, we're committed to giving one percent of gross revenue, not net revenue, but gross revenue, um, back to our community nonprofit organizations in the form of a cash donation, and then uh, we give fifteen percent of our time as well, which is a huge chunk. Um, in twenty twenty, when the pandemic hit, we gave fifty five zero percent of our time uh, donated in kind, and then um, and now we've kind of settled in, and we're now fifteen percent of all of our time and work that we do is donated in kind. So it kind of keeps our feet rooted to the ground and in our community. So Paul, tell me about that. Tell me about your decision process because you're the owner of this company. That's probably, you know, that comes out of your whatever, your income, your dividend for the year, your pension pot, whatever it is. It does come out of me, yeah. So that was, uh, you know, you, that's on you, right? I mean, you're, you're taking that, you're taking that hit, if you like, if it is a hit, right? But well, well, sure, because the employees get paid regardless. But um, yeah, I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to remind you that my book, Making Time for Strategy, is now available. If you want to be less busy and more successful, I highly recommend that you check it out. Why not head over? to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out the details. Now, back to the conversation. What process do you, did you have to go, do, if any, to kind of mentally go, that's what we're going to do? Because you're kind of signing up. A big deal there. Your 1% of revenue is definitely more, you know, it's probably a lot more in terms of profit, uh, the time that you could be directing towards other initiatives. What, what was your, I mean, just really curious because it's, it's a great mindset, well, I want to just dig into what happened. Well, kudos to you for asking, because nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, so very, very insightful question. Uh, 2020 is what did it. Um, 2020, people didn't know, and organizations didn't know um, if they were going to get funded, if they were going to get donors. It was just a scary time, especially around May and June. So they stopped a lot of their marketing contracts with us and a lot of their retainers. They just said, hey, we're just going to pause. We don't know what's going on. We don't know when it's going to end. It was just a big time of uncertainty. But there was still a lot of work to be done. So we said, you know what? Just for the next couple of weeks or for the next month, we're going to keep doing some things for you. And that's where we donated 50% of our time in 2020. Um, in 2021, I think it was like uh, 35. And it, it kind of settled down to 15 after three years. So that's where it the idea came from, we basically needed to keep busy. I was paying salaries regardless and having only half the work or a third of the work that we formerly had and now we're twiddling their thumbs. Um, it made sense to at least keep people busy. Again, you know, the salaries came out of my pocket and there was not enough revenue to cut it uh, or cover it in, in some cases. So, you know, we had to, you know, borrow from credit and, and whatnot to make, to make that work. But we did get a lot of recognition and thanks and uh, appreciation from you know the clients, and it was you know local chambers of commerce and rotaries and um, philanthropic organizations recognized us for for the work we did those years, and um, and that gave us some recognition to bring on new clients. So I think sometimes just doing good um, can mean good business. I mean that should be a that should be one takeaway from this, right? Doing good means good business. Yeah, I'm sure those clients where you stood by them in their difficult time, they probably became super loyal. 
referred you and lots of other good things coming out of that, right? Because, wow, you don't put your money where your mouth was, right? You, you were there when they didn't necessarily pay. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think they are thankful for that. And plus, it's also a way that we were able to give back to our community because these are we're talking about clients that operate within our county, right? So their beneficiaries were served and that made me feel good. Yeah, tell me about this local focus. I know you, you have a focus of serving your local community, your local county. Uh, was that something, again, which emerged? Was it very deliberate, focused for you? Or was it just natural? Those are the relationships you had very locally, and that's how you build the business. Well, I mean, yeah, we do have a couple of national clients, but locally because I think our business grew because the local chamber of commerce, the local rotary, the local exchange club, and a couple of other professional organizations that we just show FaceTime and we contribute and we volunteer and we sit on committees and we sit on boards. So of course it makes sense that if we're known in the local county, we're going to be getting clients from the local county. I can't tell you how many times uh, somebody will call me or email me and says, oh, your name has been banging around our office for two years now. We finally got a grant and we're ready to spend some money. So reputation precedes us in in the local community um and the county is big enough i mean there's three thousand four thousand nonprofit organizations in the county and there's a lot to go around yeah yeah that's what a great position to be in right where where your name is already being used in those contexts a couple of years ahead of ahead of people coming to you yes yes yeah and we we could use that um, case studies and testimonials to parlay us into some national accounts, which we've done. Um, although I will say some of our national accounts, they're headquartered locally. <laughs> so um, it would be unusual for us to get a national account that's not located in the state of Illinois uh, in this country, but uh, it, it has happened. Yeah, 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 very interesting. So uh, yeah, I love that local rootedness um, uh, and how it served you. It's probably that I'm thinking of Facebook, right? When they started, right? They were working with a couple of universities or whatever, right? So you get that kind of critical mass in a particular zone. And uh, yeah, it, I think um, I've seen both businesses, right? Some people go very global from the start, which if you're serving a certain niche, perhaps that can work. But, um, uh, it, but it sounds like for you, it was more almost organic, right? That because those were the areas where you were showing up in, you know, in... in... Well, yeah. I mean, that and the fact that once we niche down into a nonprofit world, it is like any other business, but it's also got its unique challenges. Nonprofits care about only three things, right? They care about funding. They care about donor. Uh, well, donors are part of funding. They care about funder, uh, volunteer recruitment, and awareness. At the end of the day, it goes into the, one of those three buckets. And, um, you know, with a niche like that and then a local focus, there's a trust built in. You know, before they even say, you know, we want to work with you or not. I used to love the conversation of us versus another agency. What I didn't like in the beginning before we made a name for ourselves is why you should work with an agency at all or why we should work with, you know, I'm not here to convince you to work with us or not. I'm here to understand what your challenge is and find out whether we have a solution for that challenge. And then I'll have the conversation of why us versus any other agency. I'd love that conversation because there are not that many agencies out there that niche into a nonprofit world. So that would be our, our edge. 
Yeah, nice. So let me just change the um, change the, the gear a little bit here, Paul. Uh, one of my favorite questions is, how do you need to change if you want your business to multiply the impact, scale, help all these nonprofits that you're not currently serving? Because as a leader, we're generally the lead on our own organization, right? We're, we're uh, a driver and in some ways limiting it in some way. So what's treachery for you uh, if you want to, to multiply your impact in this area? Yeah. Well, I think I spent most of my time last year, great question, by the way, uh, spent most of my time last year removing myself and getting out of the way. I was managing, I was basically the account manager for 40 clients and that's just really impossible. And so balls were dropping. Um, so then what I did is I spoke it out and said, okay, each of the employees we're going to, that they do most of the work on for that client, they're going to also manage the account and do the project management and going to empower them to make the decisions instead of having to have everything come through me. Um, and I also hired an account, a general account manager to take 11 of my, um, that I kept and took all 11 and, um, and manages those. It's important to get out of the way. It's important to empower your employees to make those decisions and giving them processes and standard operating procedures so that they can do them well. Um, so I spent all last year doing that and it freed up my time to do what is now my job, which is operations and scaling. It's, uh, it's a big change from my graphic design days. So that's kind of the rearview mirror. You spent that last year getting to this place where now you have this opportunity to do operations and scaling. So going forward, what's the kind of what's that going to be that slightly uncomfortable growth area that will make the biggest difference? I think for us right now, Richard, it's it's sales, right? So finding a resource to handle sales as opposed to, and we say this for our other our own clients. You know, we get a lot of referrals. Relying on referrals is the absolute slowest way to grow a business. It's a great pat on the back and testament that you're doing a great job. Um, but it's also the absolute slowest way you can grow your business. So in order to get beyond that and use, you know, so now we've scaled or we've, we've created a structure so that we can scale. It's now more about sales and getting our name out there and building our own awareness. So that was our focus and is our focus this year. And does that require you to do do that selling or do you need to recruit? You know, is, is, that, is that something you want to spend more of your time on or are you looking at more building a team to do that? Well, you know, when you, when you start off as a solopreneur, you're, you have to be good at sales. And I never considered myself a salesman um, because it's always a conversation. And I love having those conversations. I know what we do really well so I could talk about if we can solve a, a challenge. You want to get more clients, you want to get more uh you want to promote an event, you want to figure out how to take in donations with Apple Pay, we could solve all those problems and I can tell them right on the phone or in an email, like this is how much it costs, this is how long it'll take, we'll have it, we'll have it done. Um, so yes, I have to be involved in it. I have to be involved probably in the training aspect of it for sure. Um, I'm starting to record calls and sales calls so that we can build a library of like how to handle objections and all the typical things you would do in sales. Um, but I'm not good. I am not a good salesman. I'm not, I'm not a hunter, Richard. I don't, I'm not good at going after um, new business and um, nurturing 
that relationship until there's a sale. And the nonprofit world, that that could be a year. Um, so like anything we're doing now is going to happen. We won't see any income from that until next year, typically. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So that sounds like there's a, you need to be prepared for that. I mean, that's hiring somebody who might not deliver results overnight. That's quite an investment, right? For you, by the sound of it. Initially. Yeah. Typically, um, in an agency world, you would do a draw and, um, a base plus commission so that you can get over that initial, um, six month hump. But then once that starts, it just never, you know, now, now you've got a pipeline. Now, you know, you can predict, you know, after that point. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. So, so Paul, this has been an interesting conversation. I, th I think it's interesting how you've evolved, um, uh, as you've grown the business in all these dimensions, right? You know, a sense of purpose, um, the kind of clients that you want to work with. Uh, and then I think it was last phase of really spending a year yeah. on extracting yourself. It's such a, I want to give credit to you for this because so many people get stuck in that incremental phase, right? Where they're just doing all the things in the business. And it doesn't matter whether it's a small business or a large business, it can be the same, right? There's people in multinationals who are, you know, I like to say almost everybody is operating one level down from where they should be. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you always hear, right? You, you're working in the business instead of on the business. That's kind of a mantra that's been around, excuse me, for a long time. Um, and I've, I've heard it, but, and it's, it's one thing to understand it and another thing to actually do it. And I think you need a lot of cons consulting and help on the outside. I think one of the best things I did was I did hire a, a business and leadership coach um, a few years back. And then after that, I joined a professional association for marketing agencies. And just to be able to talk to other people who do who are doing the same thing and how they've solved problems, if there's a professional association for a job that you're in that you're ready to scale, join it because you can get instant answers. I wished when I started this company that I had a book that somebody just told me, this is what you need to do. It doesn't exist. And um, the shortcut and this this was paramount for me. If you want the shortcut on how to scale and how to grow, join a professional association. Start with the Chamber of Commerce. Um, but better than that, start a, join a professional association that's in your line of work because you're going to meet people that have been doing it for a far longer. I've had actually agency owners that have been doing it for half the time that I've been doing it, but figured stuff out before I did. Figured, figured things out on the funding side or figured things out on like, how much do you pay a salesperson? You know, and you can get 17 answers from 17 different agencies in, in five different states, you know, within 24 hours, just to get a baseline to see if you're, if you're matched up with where your head's at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think those two things you mentioned, getting outside support, obviously, I would say that's what I do, right? But I see the powerful power of, of, um, of pushing people's thinking. Uh, because when your thinking changes, all these new possibilities open up that you couldn't even see before. And then that power of community, you know, I'm in a community of, of high level cons uh, consultants and coaches, it's changed the way I think about my own business. Uh, and also I run, you know, I run a community, I run a CEO um, um, program for leaders who are already super successful, and they're ready to change the world, create their, their legacy, 100x legacy, involves them doing the strategic thinking, but also doing the deep inner work. Because again, for them, it's that's a new game, right? They know how to be successful in business. Do they know how to 
create change beyond that? Not necessarily. And so that, again, is that kind of melting pot that you mentioned where people spark off, I spark off each other and in the process change really quite fast. So I love that. Yeah, and at the very least, what's wrong with a little extra outside perspective, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, Paul, it's been great talking with you. If people want to get in touch with you or uh, Paul Gregory Media, your, your business, how do they do that? Very easy. Just visit paulgregorymedia.com. From there, you got my contact info, our location, and everything we do. That's simple enough. I look forward to following along on the journey and uh, as, you, as you scale and help others help even more people in the world. So thank you for what you do. Yeah, we're looking forward to continuing what we're doing. Thank you for uh, for having me on the show and uh, uh, giving the listeners a little uh, insight into what we do. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com slash podcast where you'll find all the details now finally when you're in top leadership who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com